You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. We are all aware that heavy alcohol intake can lead to many negative health outcomes. However, can moderate alcohol intake lead to some positive health outcomes? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. And with me today is Dr. Curtis Ellison, Professor of Medicine and Public Health at Boston University School of Medicine in Boston. Thank you so much for being with us, Dr. Ellison. Thank you. We've uh, heard about moderate alcohol intake being positive for particularly cardiovascular conditions. Is there any understanding of why this might be so? Many people do not want to even consider that heart disease can be prevented unless they know how it works. (laughs) They want to get to the mechanisms, and people want to say, well, if a glass of wine is good for you, we should uh, tease it apart and see what in that glass of wine is protecting against heart disease. Mm-hmm. I'm more of the other sort. I said, if the a glass of wine is good for you, enjoy it. Right. Don't worry about what's in there. But indeed, they, we have uh, had extensive research on the mechanisms by which alcoholic beverages tend to reduce the risk of cardiovascular diseases. The most important one is the increase in HDL cholesterol, that good old protective uh, HDL. And in our studies, that's uh, about the only thing that people in the population do that uh, increases their HDL. Exercise uh, increases a little bit, two or three milligrams per deciliter, but in our studies among middle class, uh, light to moderate drinkers, uh, they tend to have considerably high HDLs and the non-drinkers. Now, the uh, uh, HDL is increased by the alcohol itself, it seems. The vast majority of studies say that any type of alcohol raises your HDL. It doesn't make any difference whether it's beer, wine, or spirits. You're going to get the increase in HDL, and that's probably the single most important factor in preventing coronary heart disease. But we are learning more and more about the coagulation system, and we all know that, that you know you can have atherosclerosis and narrowing of an artery, but until that clot forms or the uh, plaque ruptures, you're not going to plug up the artery and end up with the coronary. Uh, mm-hmm. This, I think, is even more exciting, that the effects of alcohol and of the polyphenols and wine each independently have protective effects on endothelial function. And in in terms of the HDL, if I could get back to that for a minute, I occasionally heard that, for instance, alcoholics who come in with the HDL of 112 and uh, that the subtypes, are it's it's not the real protective HDL. Is that... If you look at some of the early studies, they gave people four or five drinks and looked at the HDL over a short period of time, and it turned out to be more of the HDL3 rather than the more protective HDL2. However, two things have happened. First of all, both types of HDL2 and 3 kind of are interchangeable and switch back and forth, and HDL3 is, is also protective. And whether it's the HDL type or just the total HDL, we're not quite sure. All we know is that people who have higher HDLs do better, and the data suggest that the increase in HDL associated with the moderate alcohol consumption uh, seems to be beneficial. Take us to this very dynamic environment of the endothelium and the plaque, and, and how is the alcohol affecting endothelium? Well, there are many. There are probably 30 or 40 different mechanisms of stimulating endothelial function, blocking growth factors, and decreasing the stickiness of the platelets, less aggregation, less stimulation of factors 5 and 7. So all of these things together from both the alcohol and the polyphenol, that's, and, and just to add, the fibrinolysis is also an extremely important because we all form a few clots, but if we uh, lyse them immediately, then they don't cause problems. Some of the best studies have been done at the University of Alabama in Birmingham uh, uh, by uh, Francois Boisset and his colleagues 
And they have found the genes that get turned on. One of them, one gene may be turned on by alcohol itself. Another gene on this fibrinolysis uh, pathway uh, is turned on by quercetin or by uh, procyanidine, or these various polyphenols that are present in wine. Hmm. And the uh, latest study that I saw just uh, in the last week compared each of these polyphenols, or a large number of them, and it turned out that the combination of all of them in red wine was better than any single one. Hmm. You hear a lot about uh, resveratrol, and resveratrol is probably an important uh, component of wine and certain fruits and vegetables as well, and it may turn out to be extremely important for uh, longevity and so forth, as we've read about in some recent papers. But resveratrol is one of 500 active substances in wine, and the data suggests that by putting them all together, you get uh, a greater effect than for each individual substance itself. It's kind of like the vitamins and fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. People who eat fruits and vegetables have less heart disease, less cancer, and live longer. The thing is that is it the vitamin or the fiber? It's all of these things together. It's a nice combination if you're eating fruits and vegetables uh, that you don't get if you're just popping the vitamins or the fiber pills separately. Some uh, effects that are general to alcohol, but then some very intriguing effects that may be more specific to uh, the polyphenols in red wine acting together. That's correct. There have been few. I should just mention, uh, you know, I enjoy a beer every once in a while. But, uh-huh. <laughs> but some of the German beers uh, also have polyphenols. And now somebody uh, in Scotland is trying to say, well, let's look at the polyphenols that we absorb from the barrels that we <laughs> age our Scotch whiskey in. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I think, you know, you don't have to have red wine to get the polyphenols, but they have much higher levels than any other type of beverage. Anything else about the mechanisms in cardiovascular disease? There are direct effects on, on the myocardium itself. Uh, for some reason, dogs that have been given a little bit of alcohol for a few weeks and then they create a coronary by uh, clamping off one of the coronary arteries uh, tend to tolerate it better if they've been receiving some alcohol than if they've been receiving just water. Mm-hmm. We're not sure about why. There, there, there's a lot of research going on about this, but it, it's extremely complex. I'm not sure of all of the mechanisms, but it does seem that the myocardium is, is protected to some extent. And also the, the arterial stiffness and other vascular studies are going on where they give animals or even people, a certain amount of alcohol or water or something else for a period of time, and then look at the arterial stiffness, blood pressure, all of these things. And there seems to be some effects, probably working through the endothelial effects uh, of moderate drinking. Uh, Dr. Ellison, I've got my cardiovascular system in shape, but am I going to be uh, damaging my pancreas and and, uh, causing uh, CNS negative effects? Well, again, we were happily surprised when the report came out from France about 10 years ago looking at the elderly people in a large study in Bordeaux, of all places, Mm -hmm. uh, of which about 15% did not drink any wine. And it turns out that those 15% had more rapid development of Alzheimer's. There have since been studies, uh, we've studied them here in Framingham in in the United States, and found that the that memory seems to be slightly better preserved among the drinkers than among the non-drinkers. There have been some very good studies from the Netherlands and from Denmark that have also shown the same thing. Moderate drinkers, for some reason, tend to have a lower risk of developing either progressive mental loss or memory loss as they get older or uh, developing uh, overt Alzheimer's disease. Mechanisms are not quite clear. It, it may well be that the effects on the endothelial lining of the cerebral arteries may be playing a role 
inflammation may be playing a role. Alcohol also has direct uh, uh, effects on the hippocampus. So all of these things are being worked out and studied. But the net effect in uh, most long-term epidemiologic studies is that the rates of dementia are slightly lower, 10 15% or so, among the moderate drinkers than among those who do not drink at all. Any gender effect there? In some studies, they see a bigger effect in women than in men. Uh, again, we... we Women drink differently than men in the United States. Uh, you know, generally, the, the, well, at least up until recently, the women were not as heavy drinkers as men, although it's getting worse than the young people. Mm. But the beneficial effects were clearer among women than in men. Other studies show, show no difference. And I think it's probably we're not that, that the effects are different, but it's the drinkers are different and the pattern of drinking and the amount of, of consumption and so forth. Some of those uh, socioeconomic confounders. Absolutely. That, that's very important. You know, I'm an epidemiologist and we're studying populations and we're trying to say uh, this group of people are healthier than those. Is it because they're taller or leaner or whatever? Uh, and is it because they're eating a certain way or drinking a certain way? Things come together. Moderate people tend to drink moderately and uh, tend to eat a healthier diet. So it's very difficult to be sure what it is. And this is why it's important that you have replication in many different cultures, replication in animal studies uh, and mechanistic studies as well, to support that it is indeed the alcohol or the wine or whatever they're consuming that is leading to some protection. Other than the cognitive and the cardiovascular benefits, are there other areas that get benefit, uh, beneficial effects from moderate alcohol? The recent data on diabetes has been encouraging. We've long known that diabetics uh, are increasing. In, in fact, uh, supposedly by, by 2030, they're gonna, there will be a worldwide 37% increase in, in mm. diabetes. And so, I mean, this is a terrible problem, obviously associated particularly with the increasing obesity around the world. The best meta-analyses suggest that if you consume a half a drink, one drink, one and a half drinks, all of these people have about 30% lower risk of developing diabetes, even when you adjust for slightly lower obesity. And that's one, something that is not even as clear uh, as it is about diabetes. But people who are moderate drinkers tend to be less obese, and that indeed leads to less diabetes. But even if you adjust for that and, and say, considering there's no change in weight, you still have a slightly decreased risk of diabetes if you're a moderate drinker. That's a surprising and a nice uh, effect. I was not aware of that. And I know there's some data also on total mortality. Well, if you have a 20 or 30% reduced risk of coronary disease, a 20% decreased risk of stroke, you would expect the total mortality to be down, and, and indeed that is the case. The largest studies done by the American Cancer Society that followed uh, up to a million Americans back in the 70s, 80s, and 90s uh, found about 21% lower risk of total mortality. Other studies have found slightly less, but it's in the range of 10 to 20% lower mortality, total mortality. And this is because that if you're drinking moderately, you do not get into the problems with the alcohol-related diseases. You don't start getting liver cancer. You don't start getting cirrhosis. You don't start getting esophageal or pharyngeal cancers because these are diseases that occur primarily in very heavy drinkers and usually very heavy smokers as well. But we know that there are alcohol-related cancers that we're all worried about. But we do not see an increase if you're a truly moderate drinker in these diseases. The only thing that's really bothering us is, is breast cancer. There have been a number of studies, prospective studies, the Nurses' Health Study, that have shown that women who consume even a drink or two uh, uh, a day, we don't know exactly whether they're 
you know, saving those up for Saturday night, uh, doing it every day. But we do know that those who average about a drink a day have about a 10% increased risk of breast cancer in many studies. Mm. The going theory is that the alcohol that they consume increases estrogens a little bit. And we know that it's similar to using hormone replacement therapy in older women that uh, there may be a slight increase. There is a slight increase in breast cancer from these increases in estrogens. The bad news is that there may be a slight increase. The good news is that in most recent studies, the women who were getting plenty of folate did not show an increase. And the same has been seen in men and women for uh, colorectal cancer. There may be a very slight increase in colorectal cancer, even moderate drinking, but if you have uh, adequate amounts of folate, uh, there's no increase. The other thing is that women who binge drink are show an increase in breast cancer, but not those who drink regularly and moderately. Third thing is if they're on uh, hormone replacement therapy and they drink, they do get an increase in the risk of breast cancer. So what we're saying, if you're a drinking woman and can avoid it, avoid hormone replacement therapy, don't binge drink, and make sure you get plenty of folate. Folic acid, right. Yes. Well, I want to thank Dr. Curtis Ellison, who has been our guest. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman. You've been listening to Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>